Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's God got to do with it? And thank you so much for all the feedback we've received so far. And thank you to everyone who has followed or liked or subscribed to the podcast. And if you like what you've heard, we have so much great content on the way for you. So for example, next week, we are going to be talking about what God's got to do with it when it comes to food and body image struggles. So if you struggle with the whole food and body conversation, or maybe you feel like it's the one thing you can't seem to control or get a hold of, we are going to talk about how you can invite God into the conversation and really see food and body struggles through a new lens. And we have some other amazing interviews coming in the next few weeks as well. So make sure that you like and subscribe and come back every single Tuesday when new episodes drop of The God Pod. So Today just so happens to be the day of the year that the World Foundation of Mental Health celebrates World Mental Health Day. And that's why today is so perfect to talk about this whole faith-brain connection, because I believe that that has everything to do with your mental-emotional health. And the theme that the Foundation of Mental Health chose for 2023 is mental health is a universal human right. And I couldn't agree more. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that my own mental emotional health was kind of like my kryptonite for much of my life. And teaching and coaching around mental emotional health for women and teens is literally my day job. But the reason I actually started podcasting was because I just wanted the world to have easy access to the tools that they need to take ownership of their mental and emotional health because it really is a universal human right. And because the suffering that happens in our heads and hearts and brains and bodies is also universal. I mean, no one is immune to challenges and adversity and our brains just kind of doing what they do, right? Because stress is universal and we as humans relying on coping mechanisms of different varieties to deal with those mental, emotional stressors, that's also universal. But also this simple but not always easy desire to just be happy and to be at peace and feel free. I believe that those are also universal desires and universal human rights. So as you soak in today's episode, I just want to plant the seed that your mental, and and I would put emotional and spiritual health in that same category, 
but that A, your mental health matters, and B, you have a right to feel healthy in your mind, brain, body, and spirit. But here's what I also say about it, okay? Since you do have a brain, I'm inviting you to have a conversation about taking ownership and responsibility rather than letting your brain run and do its thing, taking you down your own rabbit holes, right? It's about influencing what you can influence to create your own peace of mind and happiness and freedom. So yes, taking care of your mental emotional health is a brain conversation. But this time around, I'm also inviting you into the possibility of what if it was also a God conversation? Like what if this time you could invite God into the conversation and ask God to meet you there and help you and support you unconditionally and be your most supportive friend and trusted advisor? But I will also say, and I'm I'm sharing this from my own experiences of making this so much harder on myself than it needed to be, it will go a lot smoother and easier if you shift, you know, from this idea of really taking care of yourself and your mental emotional health is kind of some sort of burden and shift it to an assignment or a challenge that you are choosing to take on, okay? Because when everything else in your life or your circumstances feels out of control, your mental emotional health is one thing that you can influence, you can focus on, and you can choose what you feed it, right? But it's also something that you can surrender over to God at the same time and just see what happens when you do that, okay? And again, I'm not just saying like blindly take my word for it. I'm saying try it on and see how it feels for you. Okay, so with that being said, let's just dive on in. Okay, so this whole faith brain connection and what I mean when I say where self image meets neuroscience, I shared with you in the very first episode, A Scientist Goes Looking for God, that meeting myself in my skeptical, cynical mind, but also, you know, stepping into a God conversation around things I was previously trying to do through my own might and will was so, so powerful for me because A, it completed my story. And B, it met me in what I already knew about the magic and wonder of the brain and the nervous system. And that's why for the last 15 years of my life, I have been obsessed with the female self-image. Like, What is it that makes us see and perceive ourselves the way that we do? And why do our brains play tricks on us? And why do we do what we do? And for me, this started with questions like, you know, why did I just lose 100 pounds and totally make over my body, but my self-image is still calling myself fat? Or why do I still feel like a crazy sugar addict? Or why do I still feel unworthy, unlovable, undesirable, fill in the blank? And why didn't my mind and my brain and my self-image play catch up with how my body physically transformed? And that is why I became obsessed with researching and understanding the intricacies of the female brain and self-image, because as you know, I suffered and struggled with food and my body image and my self-image for decades. And the world just kept throwing more diets at my deeper problems. And, you know, this stuff really is not taught in the mainstream and it's not made readily available. And that's why I really am so purposeful about getting this way of thinking out there. But... Also, I've noticed it's really rare that I find anyone talking about what God has to do with our own mental emotional health and how that can be, if if you are willing to go there, you know, a really pivotal piece of the puzzle. So we're going to talk about where faith meets science in terms of where your self-image lives and how to influence it through neuroscience 
and by inviting God into it. But please just know that we are just scratching the surface of this massive topic. And there will be multiple episodes that unravel this thread and peel this onion so that you can, you know, actually feel true worthiness down in your bones. Like not just this ambiguous, you know, oh, just love yourself the way you are kind of fake positivity that a lot of the world is giving us. I'm talking about taking a systematic and scientific approach to self-love and self-trust and actually transforming the way that you see yourself while you invite God into this conversation, or maybe that's where it starts, right? So that is actually where I want to start today. Essentially, you know, it's this is an introduction to where your self-image and your self-perception actually live and how to start influencing it and how to invite God into that conversation from day one. And you probably guessed it. I want to start with your self-image. Okay. So when I say self-image, essentially it's the goggles that you are seeing yourself through day in, day out. Okay. It's your personal view or mental picture that you have of yourself. And so imagine all of the thoughts that you think about yourself on a day-to-day basis. So maybe you're calling yourself things like intelligent or kind or beautiful or talented, or maybe you're calling yourself a loser or ugly or a disappointment or selfish, unworthy, unlovable, you name it, right? Basically, however you are regarding yourself or perceiving yourself, like how you view your strengths or your weaknesses, you are defining yourself and painting a picture of yourself and then living into that story and picture. And then your beliefs and your habits and your behaviors follow that story. Okay. And that's why I always say what you see is who you be. Which is really just to say that how you're showing up in your life, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, whatever, okay, how you're showing up in your life is a direct reflection of what you see as being true about yourself relative to each of these areas, okay? So if you see yourself as beautiful and lovable and irreplaceable, then you be someone who shows up in the world as beautiful and lovable and irreplaceable. What you see is who you be. But on the other hand, if you see yourself as imperfect and flawed and ugly, unlovable, unworthy, fill in the blank, then you'll be the person who meets the circumstances of your life as that person. Okay. Again, what you see is who you be. And that's why doing the out there work and I'm putting out there in in quotes, right? You know, the diets and the gym stuff and the goal-based or motivational stuff, it usually falls short for us or it doesn't really address the deeper stuff going on because we will only ever be the person that we see. What you see is who you be. And that's why I always say true transformation begins with the self-image and really stepping into a new identity. And I learned this the hard way, you know, after losing 100 pounds and making over my body, you know, because I didn't address the self-image and body image and the wiring in my brain that was causing me to think and act and feel and behave like I was fat, unworthy, a failure, destined to stay this way forever, whatever painful words I was using, okay? Yes, I lost a lot of weight, but I never transformed my identity. And I brought all of my old habits, thinking, and behaviors with me because I brought my old self-image with me. 
Now, keep in mind that when I started on my own self-image path, I didn't have God in my life yet, or at least I just didn't know that I did. But by some divine miracle, I eventually had the insight and awareness to just realize like, okay, I'm never going to be able to out-diet or out-work or out-smart the wiring that's been laying down in my brain for a long time and really my self-image. And I was not going to be able to do it all on my own either. Like I needed help and I needed a lifeline. And yes, in many ways, I needed to be saved from myself, okay? And that's why I get so excited to bring God into this conversation and talk about what's God got to do with it when it comes to your self-image, because I believe there is absolutely a faith-brain connection. So when it comes to the collective stories that we're telling ourselves on repeat about ourselves, where, yeah, maybe we are using hurtful words like unworthy or unlovable or, you know, just identifying with words like shame or self-rejection, but it's also those sneaky stories that we tell ourselves that maybe we're we're different or weird or maybe we just don't belong or maybe we're telling ourselves that we're all alone in this world or isolated, right? Like you get the picture on that side of it, right? Those isolation words. And if you're anything like me, I also thought that I was crazy. Like I thought that I, like I was morally and and undoubtedly broken and and fill in the blank down that rabbit hole, right? And and that really is its own rabbit hole when you're calling yourself crazy or broken because when we feel those things, we also feel isolated or disconnected and that's its own rabbit hole as well or at least it can be if our self-image is untamed or unmanaged or just, you know, growing metaphorical weeds without us weeding the the metaphorical garden. And that's why right off the bat, I'm going to dive into a very specific part of the brain. And it's the part of the brain that I have been, you know, semi obsessed with for many years, because it's essentially where your self image and self perception live. And I'm starting here because this is the stuff that if I knew about this when I was younger, it would have saved me so much suffering. Because understanding why I do what I do and really understanding how this part of the brain works, honestly, it kind of helped me own my crazy, as I lovingly say now. But what I really mean by that is I can now see that I wasn't crazy at all, okay? My brain was just doing what it does and what it got fired and wired to do and repeated until I changed the pattern. So we are going to get a bit geeky, but I promise it will all make sense and become really important to your own faith brain connection, okay? So this specific part of the brain I really want you to get familiar with is called the anterior cingulate cortex, but you're going to hear me calling it ACC for short, ACC, okay? And the reason I believe it is so darn important is because of all of the radically important stuff that goes on in this part of the brain. So first of all, like I said, it's where our brain is largely responsible for self-perception and self-reflection, aka your self-image, okay? But this is also where a large majority of your emotional pain receptors and your social pain receptors, as you'll learn about in a bit, which, as you'll learn, is also a big time influencer when it comes to conversations about addiction or just relying on any coping mechanisms or anything you feel out of control of, right? So whether that's food or alcohol or shopping or Netflix, you name it, yes, that is all an ACC thing as well, okay? But if that's not important enough, all 
all of that stuff that I just mentioned, the ACC is also where a large majority of your physical and physiological pain receptors live as well, okay? So for example, if I hurt my shoulder, the injury lives in the shoulder, but the pain I'm experiencing lives in the brain, a large majority of it specifically in that ACC. So just that alone, those three things, can you see why this part of the brain is so important to know about and just try to take care of and keep healthy, right? But also, can you see how it would be a really powerful experience to invite God into conversations about this part of your brain as well? So that's exactly what we're going to do. And I'm just going to break down each part really quickly for the like the logic and reason side of it for you. And then we're going to directly invite God into these conversations. And as you'll learn, there's literally evidence-based science out there that backs this up. So let's go through these one by one. So let's go through these one by one. So first is the self-perception and self-reflection part of your brain and your self-image, okay? So a quick thing about the ACC or the social brain as I call it. I teach my clients to remember the three letters ACC by remembering acceptance, connection, and care. ACC, acceptance, connection, and care. And that's because your ACC's job is to look for acceptance, connection, and care from others, but it also is looking to feel it from yourself. It doesn't really care if it's from others or from yourself. It just needs to feel accepted, connected, and cared for. And so in other words, in order for your social brain to feel safe and not go into its own form of fight or flight, it needs to feel emotionally and socially safe, okay? More specifically, it needs connection. It needs belonging, inclusion, and really actual human connection. So either feeling accepted and connected and cared for from yourself or to feel that from others, okay? And guys, this isn't just a desire. It is a require. It's not just a want, It is a need from your social brain. And ladies that are listening, an interesting thing about the ACC is it's bigger and more active in females than it is in males, okay? And so I want to quote one of my favorite neuroscientists, Dr. Luann Bresendine, because she says it best when she says this, okay? She said, more than 99% of male and female genetic coding is exactly the same. Out of 30,000 genes in the human genome, the less than 1% variation between the sexes, aka male and female, is small. But that 1% difference influences every single cell in our bodies, from the nerves that register pleasure and pain to the neurons that transmit perception, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So that's what one of my favorite brain scientists, Leon Bresendine, said. And here's the thing. One of the biggest differences, she says that 1% difference, the biggest difference is the ACC, okay? It is bigger and more active in females than it is in males. So ladies, that social emotional pain center of your brain essentially needs more love. You need more acceptance, connection, and care. And really understanding that side of it, It really helped me realize like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not over emotional. I'm not needy. I'm just a woman. And now I know that my female brain needs a bit more acceptance, connection, and care, and it needs more love. But here's what I also say about this social brain and self-image conversation. 
it is not practical or even possible for anyone to just not care what other people think about us. Like if you've ever heard somebody be like, oh, I don't care what they think about us. Honestly, it's not true because our brains are wired to care about what other people think about us. Like that's what the ACC does. And especially that female brain, right? We're wired to actively notice other people's opinions and judges and judgments, I should say, more than the male brain notices them. So yeah, it's not possible to not care what other people's opinions are of you, but here's what is possible. It is possible to figure out what it would take for you to value your own opinion of yourself more so, or even just a little bit more so, than someone else's opinion of you. And I truly believe that the best way to do that is to align with God's view of who you are. Not society, not your neighbors down the road, or that woman you follow on Instagram that you're comparing yourself to, right? I believe it's possible to build an identity and recreate your self-image through the eyes of unconditional love and unconditional acceptance, connection, and care. And I believe that God is the perfect set of eyes to start seeing yourself through. In other words, what would it be like if you didn't need, you know, endorsement or approval from somebody else to tell you who you are or tell you how much you're worth or tell you how beautiful or desirable you are or if you have the, you know, air quotes right to feel that way for yourself. And let's be honest, like we're human. It's very nice to get that confirmation and affirmation from others. Like we're only human. But what would it be like if you didn't need it and rely on it from others and you were able to provide it for yourself because you you were getting your identity from God and through the eyes of unconditional love and unconditional acceptance, right? Like just imagine what would you be walking like and talking like and thinking like and feeling like if you were walking around seeing yourself and your life through those eyes, through God's eyes, an identity built and based in that, right? And imagine how your self-image would be impacted if you were walking around seeing your life through those eyes and through God's eyes. And we're going to come back to that, I promise. But I also want to touch on, remember how I said that the ACC was also a big player in things like addiction and coping mechanisms or, you know, just kind of feeling dependent or codependent or just out of control of something. And I believe the ACC is also primarily where addiction and coping mechanisms actually live. And and here's what I mean by that. Now, first, I want to just give a little disclaimer because this is a massive topic. Okay, all of this really is a massive topic. And none of this episode, but especially when we're talking about a big thing like addiction, I am not here claiming that this podcast episode is going to solve addiction or even close to being a substitute for getting actual help and support, right? I'm simply here to help you understand a bit more about maybe, you know, why you do what you do. And of course, invite God into this conversation, right? And I know this is a massive topic. It's loaded with emotions and history and, and oftentimes trauma. So please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? My hope is just to help you understand so that you can approach your struggles with compassion and care rather than judgment or shame. So back to the ACC. So I'm going to kind of describe this cause and effect cascade that happens in the brain. And I'm actually going to use sugar, for example. But, you know, let's be honest. Sometimes it's wine. Sometimes it's Netflix, mindless TV, online shopping, scrolling Instagram, anything that really numbs you out, distracts you, you know, causes you to procrastinate, like drugs you. Right. And again, like we all have our own drug of choice. There's no there's no shame in that. Right. But just know, like this really is a small snapshot of how your ACC 
works. And of course, I'm giving you the very oversimplified version, but I wanted to kind of lay out this cascade for you, okay? So when you're reaching for your drug of choice, your social brain, like your ACC, is actually looking for oxytocin, okay? And oxytocin is the love and comfort and emotional or, or psychological safety hormone. And the ACC has one of the highest densities of opioid receptors in your brain. And I want you to remember that because it's going to be important. So here's the thing. Your ACC, or social brain as I call it, will get it. It will get oxytocin, okay? Like I said, it's not just something that your ACC desires. It requires oxytocin. But it becomes a matter of what you feed your brain. Because here's what's also happening, and a lot of times it's happening without you knowing it. So like I said, your brain requires connection, oxytocin, that that safety, love, connection hormone that we talked about. Instead, in those moments, because our brain doesn't know or maybe it's misfiring, we feed ourselves, you know, food or mindless TV or mindless web scrolling or compulsive shopping or maybe it's actual drugs or alcohol, right? But really, it's any activity that numbs or distracts or comforts in that moment. So in turn, instead of giving our brains what it really needs in that moment, which is oxytocin, we are giving it endless amounts of this high, like a synthetic high of the drug itself, which is actually not an oxytocin like payoff. It's actually creating a dopamine serotonin payoff. But in those moments, what our brain is truly craving is connection and oxytocin. And in turn, our social brain, it stays hungry. Like it's still hungry for that oxytocin because it's still not getting it because we're giving it endless amounts of dopamine instead. So essentially, we are feeding loneliness and sadness and shame and stress and boredom with like fake connection, like TV and food and other drugs. And in turn, we remain overfed, but we're undernourished and we stay undernourished because our brain still craves that oxytocin. But again, the pattern keeps going. And this is the vicious cycle that keeps happening over and over and over again. And it's fired and wired in your brain. And that's why willpower or trying to outmotivate or white knuckle your way through it probably isn't working or it doesn't work very long because that problem is never going to be solved with logic or reason, reason because it is emotional. It's in your brain. In fact, your brain is just doing what it's been programmed to do. Require oxytocin and expect to get that hit of dopamine in return, okay? But also, this is the perfect place to invite God into the conversation. Because in reality, this is your brain screaming at you to feed it what it really needs. And here's a hint. It's oftentimes a spiritual need and an emotional need. But in the moment, your brain thinks it wants sugar or Netflix or drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever. But in reality, it doesn't want that thing. It wants oxytocin and heart, soul, spirit connection. But it's just been programmed and fired and wired to get that other thing. It's been programmed to live in a state of being overfed yet undernourished. So I really want you to start seeing this through the eyes of like, what spiritual need and emotional need am I filling with my own drug of choice? Okay, just think about that. Like what, when I'm filling, finding and feeding my drug of choice, what's the emotional and spiritual need that I am really filling? 
right there. And we're going to come back to that when we talk about the faith-brain connection because it's so important. But first, let's look at that third piece of this puzzle because it actually totally overlaps and is very related to what we just talked about, the addiction coping mechanism kind of things. Because you can't look at the pleasure-seeking side of your brain without looking at the counterpart that manages or soothes pain, right? So there's pleasure-seeking and then there's like pain-relieving, right? So the ACC also has one of the highest densities of pain receptors as well in your brain, okay? So like I said before, if I hurt my shoulder, the injury itself is in the shoulder, but a lot of the pain I'm experiencing is being processed by the ACC in your brain. And this is where I'll also say, and and I'm not going to go too deep into this today because it's also a really big topic, but there's also a lot of evidence-based research that's been done on the social emotional pain that humans experience, where they're finding that emotional pain is actually manifesting as physiological pain. Okay, so emotional pain is being experienced, but it's manifesting as physical pain. And so, for example, you know, take something like fibromyalgia, and this is fascinating to me, and and I won't go too deep into it, but this is a great example. So if you take something like fibromyalgia, which is typically regarded as a physical pain disorder, um, a lot of times it's it's called phantom pain disorder because a lot of times doctors, it's unexplained, so to speak. But there's been studies that show when a fibromyalgia sufferer is placed under an fMRI, machine, the brain scan shows that the ACC is essentially like firing in overdrive. And that same study that I'm that I'm referring to, it showed that the number one treatment for fibromyalgia pain in that study was not physical therapy and it wasn't pain meds or pain management. It was getting these people connected with other fibromyalgia sufferers. It was getting them in community and connecting their ACC social brain to other humans going through through the same thing, okay? AKA getting their social brain, that oxytocin social connection. And what this study concluded was that fibromyalgia could very well be a social disorder, not a physical one. In other words, the ACC was essentially in pain and there was what could be considered like kind of a sensory mismatch, meaning the emotional pain centers were firing in the ACC, but it was manifesting physiologically. Because remember, those emotional pain centers and the physiological pain receptors are all predominantly in the ACC. And when they attended to the social emotional pain in the ACC, the physiological pain decreased significantly, way more than with meds or PT. And so feeding and taking care of the social brain is what helped the most with their physical pain, okay? And this is so fascinating, right? Like just this brain stuff to me was revelatory because again, it made me realize like, okay, I'm not crazy or weak-willed or weird or different. I just need to learn to take care of my brain just like I take care of my body, But if you think that's cool, then let's look at all three of the important aspects of the ACC that we just talked about, and let's look at it through the faith lens, okay? And let's directly invite God into this conversation one by one. (music) 
Let's look at all three of the important aspects of the ACC that we just talked about, and let's look at it through the faith lens, okay? And let's directly invite God into this conversation one by one. So first, let's look at self-image and self-perception and where faith meets science. Like, let's see what God's got to say about it. So first, I just want to mention, there was a national study conducted by the Association of Religion Data Archives, and it concluded that worship attendance and prayer and the specific act of someone committing their life to Christ, like this is what the study said. It said the specific act of somebody committing their life to Christ was all related to higher self-esteem when the individuals reported a close relationship with, and, and I'm quoting here, a divine being who cared about them, a divine being who cared about them, okay? And the sociologist that conducted this experiment said that when humans have what they call the ultimate friend on their side, it made a big difference when it comes to self-respect and self-worth. Guys, this is literally a study to see the impact of faith on self-image and self-worth. And what they concluded was that, and I quote, a sense of divine support is a robust predictor of self-esteem. It is a robust predictor. Robust, robust, potato, potato. But it literally is predicting self-esteem, okay? And here's the thing I really want you to take away from this study because language we've talked about is so important. Notice the kind of relationship with God and Christ that this study specifically talks about in their language. They referred to having a relationship with Christ where he was like the air quotes ultimate friend and a divine being who cared about them. This is about relationship, okay? It's not religion. It's not a punishment or shame-driven God. It's a relationship with a loving, redeeming God and a heavenly father who sees you and loves you just as you are, and you don't have to earn it or work for it. And as Kevin Queen distinguished a few episodes ago, there's a big difference between religion and faith, right? The big distinction being that religion is rules and faith is relationship. And this study just shows that faith as a relationship with God and Christ as the ultimate friend and someone who cares about you is scientifically proven to improve your self-esteem and self-worth. Now, let's look at what God's got to say about it by going into his word. Like this from from 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I love that. Like how often are our self-images based solely on what we look like or quantifiable things like money and bank balance and scale weight and gene size and all those things. The Lord looks at the heart. Can you imagine if you walked around reminding yourself of that? Or this one from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, reminds us of something similar. It says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And to me, this is about working on your inner beauty because what you see is who you be and the beauty within you that has nothing to do with the worldly ways that we comprise our self-worth is so, so precious to God. And of course, this one from 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 
And this just reminds me that you can take on a new story and a new identity anytime you choose. And like I've shared throughout this entire podcast, I tried on the story that God sent his son Jesus to die for all my sins so that I didn't have to live in my own burden and shame any longer. And I could be a new creation in Christ. And that when I chose to follow him, the old is gone and the new has come. And that I can take the pen and I can rewrite my story with God. And when I tried on that story, story and I literally just asked God to show me who I really am and show me how he sees me, everything transformed because what you see is who you be. And when I started seeing myself through his eyes, wow, it completely transformed my life. And yeah, it started with me going down the brain and science rabbit hole. But when I started asking, you know, what's God got to do with all this self-image stuff? And what's God reflecting back to me in the mirror of my own self-perception? What happened is beyond description. And yeah, I use words like miracles because that's what it felt like after 30 years of toxic shame and having self-rejection and self-abandonment as my emotional home. And really, that's why I'm inviting you to try this on. Try on that you're not crazy or weak-willed. You just have a brain. And ask God to fill you with new beliefs and new elements of your identity and step into your own rebirth because what you see is who you be. And, and keep in mind, I am just giving you examples of scripture that resonated with me. But like we talked about in last week's episode, resonance is everything. So it's important that you find scripture that resonates with you. So for the next part, remember how I also said that the ACC was a big player in coping mechanisms or, you know, feeling dependent or out of control or even outright addiction. So again, this is a big topic and obviously not some one and done conversation, but I also want to say this again, just to reiterate, you know, you are not crazy and you are not weak-willed and you are simply doing what your brain got fired and wired to do. But this is also a brain that God created and God gifted you with. And if you feel lost or in the dark, then this is the perfect place to meet God and invite him in there. So let's see where faith meets science when it comes to addiction or feeling out of control or, you know, relying on coping mechanisms. So a national study by the Association of Re Religion Data Archives, where they basically collated 185 different studies on faith's impacts on different things, such as, you know, depression, mental health, you name it. But they concluded that out of the 185 studies that they located, 84% of them, 84% of them found that faith reduced the risks of drug abuse. This, you know, study of studies, as I'm calling it, it's literally called belief, behavior, and belonging. How faith is indispensable in preventing and recovering from substance abuse. And it's no wonder that 73% of addiction treatment programs in the USA include a spirituality or faith-based element. And it's part of 12-step programs. And of course, it was initially made popular by Alcoholics Anonymous, where a lot of its core principles emphasize relying on God or a higher power to to stay sober. But as you learned when we talk about that ACC, that social brain, it might not necessarily be drugs or alcohol or sex, or, or maybe it is those things, but it can also feel like we're addicted to food or social media or dating apps or fill in the blank. And again, yes, it's a conversation of taking radical ownership and responsibility and, and doing the work to rewire your brain, but it's literally proven that inviting God into this conversation will miraculously help and speed up recovery and I'll add, keep you on the path. 
So that's what science says about the faith brain connection for this. But let's look, let's take a look at what God has to say about it. Let's go to God's word. So from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And this is where I'll say it again. You are not crazy. You're not weak-willed. You are human. And your temptations are also the human part of you. But God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And if you feel lost or in the dark or out of control, this is the perfect place to meet God and ask him to meet you there. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So there's a difference between, yeah, you're allowed, but not being a slave. And that reminds me, yeah, we have free will, right? But not everything serves us. And for me, this was about looking at what I was a slave to, like what owned me, right? And I was a slave to so many things over my life, food, opinions of others, weed, relationships, alcohol, friendships, dating sites, you name it. But I finally did just have to acknowledge like, wow, this does own me and I'm not really free. And I had to get to that point where I said, you know, I refuse to go another day without figuring out how to heal this. And it's not just about giving it to God. It's about radical personal responsibility and ownership while I give it over to God and and have him help me sort it out. But I feel like that in itself is an important distinction, like taking personal responsibility and, and ownership of your struggles while you invite God in and surrender it over to God, right? It's not one of these things of like, oh, God, just do it for me. It's like, no, you have to do the work too. But when you invite God into that, again, miracles happen. And in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, his, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Okay? So to that, I say, even if you feel like you are at rock bottom or you're suffering or maybe you feel unhelpable or like you're a lost cause or just destined to struggle with your vice forever— There is a restorative healing power in the name of Jesus that can strengthen you and give you a new healthy foundation. God's love will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. And again, don't just take my word for it blindly. Try this on, right? Ask God to fill you with new beliefs and new faith and new elements of your identity and step into your own rebirth, right? And of course, yes, you have to take radical ownership and change what's going on in your brain. But again, ask God to meet you there. And I'm just giving you examples of scripture that resonated with me. But again, resonance is everything. So make sure that you find scripture that resonates with you. Okay. And last but not least, let's look at where faith meets science when it comes to physical pain and what God's got to say about that. So there's a study out of Canada that they did it in 2008, and it was 37,000 people that were 15 years or older. And the study concluded that faith-based individuals, and they literally defined faith-based individuals as measuring it by worship frequency together with the importance of spiritual values. So having spiritual 
values and worship and prayer. Okay. So faith-based individuals based on that definition were associated with lower levels of chronic pain and fatigue syndromes. But on top of that, frequent worship attendance was also associated with better psychological well-being in the populations that suffered from chronic pain and fatigue. Faith was associated with the use of positive psychological and positive physical coping mechanisms. So again, they also saw, saw this alignment where, where again, it's, it's connected to what we talked about in our last section of like the, the coping mechanisms. Faith also changed how people cope. Okay. And again, this is the evidence-based science is pointing to the fact that having a faith life and a relationship with God and a prayer life and worship is a pain reliever. So let's take it even further by looking to God's word and seeing what God's got to say about it. So from Psalm 6, 2, it says, Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. And this is literally a prayer. Okay, this is an example of asking God for healing and strength and for relief from the agony, which we just learned that faith and prayer is scientifically proven to help alleviate pain. And the Bible aligns with this. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And this just reminds me to look to God for strength. And yes, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like definitely do all you can do for yourself physically and to heal from what's ailing you. But to me, this reminds me to let God do the heavy lifting in my head, heart, and spirit. And he gives me true inner strength when I might feel physically weak. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And then, of course, there's this scripture that has given me peace in so many different situations, but I feel like it's so relevant to this. It's from Psalm 34, 18, and it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Because let's be honest, pain and unexplained illness or physical, mental, emotional distress can be soul and spirit crushing. You know what I mean? And even when the circumstances feel like it's more than you can bear, this scripture reminds me that this is when God is closest to your reach. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And again, like just reach out, like try it on. Try reaching out to God when you're brokenhearted. Try reaching out to God when you're your spirits are crushed. And, you know, these are just obviously some of the examples of the healing power of God's word and the, the healing power of faith and the healing power of Jesus. But again, it's up to you to meet God there, right? That's all I'm inviting you to do. And really the big point of this conversation, like what if you simply started looking at your mental, emotional health and your beliefs and self-image and your coping mechanisms or parts of your life where you feel bondage and, and yes, even your physical pain and what if this was all a God conversation, right? This is the kind of stuff that is happening in our social brains, whether we are aware of it or not. But this is also the part of the brain that I believe if we invite God in, absolute miracles can happen, right? Our minds can be renewed, identities can be reshaped, and hope and healing in our mental emotional health can be something that we can continually invite God into the conversation. And as always, everything I share is simply an invitation without expectation to just try on a new story or new perspective and see what meets you where you are in your own journey. So if you're wondering what's God got to do with your mental and emotional health, I'm here to tell you everything, everything you know and everything you didn't know you didn't know. 
We will be back with more What's God Got to Do With It. But in the meantime, I would love to hear from you. So just tell me where you are in your own story or maybe what questions you have. You know, where do you feel like you need more clarity or wisdom or direction in your own journey? I definitely want to hear from you. So head on over to whatsgodgottodowithit.com and scroll down to the form to share your thoughts, questions, or feedback instantly. That's whatsgodgottodowithit.com. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more, follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get your weekly dose of What's God Got to Do With It. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review to show your support. It really means so much. What's God Got to Do With It is an iHeartRadio podcast on the Amy Brown Podcast Network. It's written and hosted by me, Leanne Ellington. Executive produced by Elizabeth Fazio. Post-production and editing by Houston Tilly. And original music written by Cheryl Stark and produced by Adam Stark. Adam Stark.